and welcome to Marking the Roll. This is episode 12. Marking the Roll is a podcast for teachers and anyone interested in education. We're based in the Illawarra, which is, you know, the, the Wollongong is the main city there, um, but we are really for teachers everywhere. Last episode was on uh, the casualization of the teaching service, and we know that uh, there is a teacher shortage all over the world, and casual and temporary teachers are being employed to fill the gaps. Um, I spoke to Dr. Alexis Vaselli from the University uh, or Edith Cowan University in Western Australia. He made some very important points. He said that by a staff becoming casual or temporary, it gives the government or the employer more control over them because they are less likely to strike, they're less likely to take sick leave, and they're less likely to complain about their situation. So the casualization and the temporization, if you can call it, of the teaching service is partially a control measure. Permanent teachers um, really is a lot more difficult to get rid of them. Um, he also stated that this was quite common, um, that we have uh, up to 25% of the teaching service on casual or temporary con- uh, contracts. I then spoke to Gary Keat from your teaching agency in Victoria, who really can't keep up with the number of casuals needed uh, to go into schools in Victoria. He did state that there is a lot more older teachers coming into the casual ranks because they're so tired of the of the administrative work, uh, of the enormous load and pressure put on teachers. So if they don't have mortgages, if they don't have large financial pressures, they can go into the casual ranks and have a much happier um, and healthier life. He also made it very clear that, yes, you could get a home loan or a personal loan from certain institutions like like the Teachers Mutual Bank or from really any bank uh, if you're a casual or temporary teacher. The old idea that you couldn't get those sorts of loans, uh, that, that, that is wrong. You can. And just to round off the summary from last week, I listened to some podcasts from the USA um, over the last few days, and it seems the, the casualization there is is certainly big, but so is technology. And technology is taking over some of the actual teaching role uh, of a teacher, and uh, students are going into a classroom more for the, the practical aspects of what they learn, so they can learn at home through their technology Casual teachers can then take them through the the, um, the practical aspects, the problem solving, um, and the teacher does not have as much of a full-time role as they used to. Um, so I think this is a new world of teaching, a new world of education, and quite honestly, I don't think we can stop it. This episode is on the Year 12 exams. Now, for those listening from overseas, Year 12 is the final year of formal education. Students can then go out and work. They can go to university. Um, but we have 12 years, really, of uh, formal education. And in most states of Australia, there is an exam at the end of that Year 12. Now, uh, some states call it the HSC, High School Certificate 
some the VCE, Victorian Certificate of Education. Um, so we're looking at that and whether it's still relevant in today's modern world, especially knowing that only 40% of university entrances are due to the ATAR. In other words, are due to the mark they receive in the exam. Um, it's also true that there is a large percentage of Year 12 students who simply go overseas and they work somewhere, try to get some experience or a different perspective after Year 12. Um, so we're looking at that during this episode. Now I'll preface this next section by saying that handwriting the ability to communicate without a digital device is really very important and we should never lose that skill. But back in 2011, I wrote an article for the Sydney Morning Herald called Time for the Digital Exam. Now, this is 11 years ago where the argument was that expecting students to write with a pen uh, where they would never write 3,000 words with a pen again, or, or even a 1,000 words with a pen, um, it was just too much in 2011. That was uh, updated in 2016 because nothing had changed. Students are still in Australia writing their final exams with a pen. Uh, now, in 2022, we find not much has changed. And I, and I thought, firstly, I should ask a, a technology expert if there was any real reason why uh, the exam should not be done on a laptop. And I spoke to John Martinello from MLogic IT in Wollongong, who, oddly enough, had a son doing the HSC this year. I've actually got a kid doing HSC this year. And I work in IT, so I'm, um, I'm kind of baffled as to why it's still a um, pen and paper thing, not not on a computer. John, is there any reason why the HSC couldn't be done digitally? So students couldn't use a laptop. Uh, look, I don't, I don't see why not. I, I think the um, the the concerns might are always going to be around, you know, security and um, you know, with possibilities of hacking. But that's that's basically the same as anything that you put online or allow access to from a computer. I mean, all our, you know, information for everybody is, is online and, um, you know, you just got to put the security infrastructure in place to protect it as well as possible. Um, and then the other concerns will be about whether, I guess, students bring their own device or whether the devices are supplied. I think um, most countries in the world um, supply the device so the, the students don't use their own. It's their own device and it's not even linked to the internet. There's no internet capability on those devices, but in some way the data is transferred at the end of every exam. Um, now, you, you, you've got a, um, a son going through the HSC. How are they finding it? Oh, yeah, yeah, good. I mean, they've just done the trials and he, he did fairly well at it and all that. But, yeah, we've, we've often had that discussion at home saying, well, why, why aren't these things done on computers yet? It just doesn't, it just seems seems weird that everything else has gone um, digital and computer-based and HSC still pen and paper. It's just odd. Uh, I, I personally can't see the the issue either, John, so uh, we're just waiting on governments to act. I think that's the, that's the big thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all it is, yeah. <laughs> and that was John Martinello from MLogic 
IT solutions in Wollongong, and there's seemingly no reason why the HSC or the VCE or any other Year 12 exam can't go digital. It's simply government inaction. Now, in Victoria, the reason that they don't have it digitally is that the the government says that they're worried about a power outage. Now, that's like saying, look, I'm not going to cook a meal tonight because I'm worried that the power's going to go out. Or we're not going to have the uh, the AFL Grand Final this year because we're very worried that the power is going to go out. And that is quite ridiculous. It seems South Australia is leading the pack. They have some of their Year 12 examinations online. Uh, Western Australia, they don't have to have any of them, any exams at all. Yet some ATAR exams can be can be sat by Year 12 students. It seems Queensland is really leading the pack. Uh, There is no real Year 12 exam unless a student opts to have one as a special entry into a course that they wish uh, wish to do at university. So for those governments that don't have any digital exam, it's time to pull the digit out and actually get active and get this going as soon as possible. It's uh, it's great to actually um, spruik the benefits of, of your innovation departments and how well that uh, the department is going in a technological sense when you are behind the eight ball by about 20 years as far as digital examinations in year 12. And to finish off this section on the digital exam, um, I'm going to hand it over to Kira, a student who did her HSC in 2021 with some advice for you, and also to Tanya, a HSC marker. Uh, uh, So we'll have Kira first. My best advice would be to handwrite everything because we type so much these days, a lot of our notes are all typed, but handwriting is what we're assessed on and ultimately it's such an important skill and you want to make sure you can finish your papers and have written everything that you want to get down. That was Kira from the Illawarra and if you don't believe it, here's Tanya, a HSC marker, telling you about her experiences in marking the HSC. Oh, look, um, I'm getting better at it. I have seen an improvement in written responses. Um, it, it is a nightmare. It's, it, um, my eyes are exhausted because it takes me longer to read it with the, read the writing. That's the hardest bit. Reading the writing is the hardest bit. Now, if the Year 12 exam marker can't read a student's writing, if they're struggling and it takes them triple the time to understand what's been written, they're not going to have a very positive idea of that student. Whereas if it's a breeze to read, if it takes no time to read it and understand it, then the marker, who is only human, will have a more positive view of that student. Now, educrats would say, oh, no, no, that that would never happen. But I'm afraid the markers are only human. And if students don't have a laptop uh, in order to edit correctly then they've got to make sure that their handwriting is damn good. You're listening to Marking the Roll, a podcast for teachers and anyone interested in education. We discuss the real issues facing educators without fear or favour. Please follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends. For more info, go to markingtheroll.com.au. 
So I thought it was about time we speak to some teachers about what is happening with Year 12 exams. And I spoke to Nikki Abrahams, a English teacher who teaches HSC students, but she also has a daughter doing the HSC. I firstly asked her to tell us a little bit about her teaching career. Yeah, sure. Um, I teach English and I teach English in a high-performing school, uh, where high-performing public school, where the students uh, do very well year after year in English and we work very, very hard um, to ensure that their literacy skills and that uh, are up to scratch and that they're very confident going into the HSC and NAPLAN. How do they feel about going into the HSC? Is there a degree of stress that surrounds them? Uh, okay, that's a really good question. And my daughter went through U12 last year and that was a game changer for the way I saw my job. Um, up until then, I always had a real, we can do it, come on kids, um, we can give you all support uh, and get you through. And after seeing, I guess, what they have from a holistic sense, from a holistic point of view and not just a teacher point of view, I realised that um, most likely the system that I was seeing from just a one subject um, perspective is really actually quite, I guess, outdated and not really in line with what where we need our students to be. So it's the idea of the Year 12 exam, in your case, the HSC. Um, so that's an outdated system, this, this one exam that holds so much important. Is that what you're saying? No, look, I don't mind the actual HSC exams, but I think the way we have gone with assessment, uh, assessment to me now feels like trial exams every term because instead of having um, just little assessments here and there along the way that were only ever sort of helping the students to gain knowledge and understanding and feel more proficient and uh, strengthened in what they were doing, uh, I feel that that's now gone to these very, very high-weighted tasks and every subject wants to wait until the end of each term to assess because they've got to assess at 30%. So now I feel like they're doing the HSC or, or their trial exams every term and I think it has really contributed to higher levels of stress and to what end? What is the purpose with the Department of Education being so concerned about well-being, you'd think that, that this HSC <laughs> was <see> a <laughs> complete antithesis of that. Um, I, I agree. I agree. So um, so you're saying really that, that every assignment and every task they do has become um, an agent for a mark, not an agent for understanding, which is really what the basic role of teachers. That yeah. is exactly right. And when you look at our kids at school, when I first started teaching, they didn't mind, you know, the growth, the journey. Uh, there was an excitement in that. There was pride in that. The last few years, um, since we've gone to higher weightings, I see so much stress and I see so many students at the door all the time terrified because they may have got a 15 out of 20 or uh, 16 out of 20 and I'm yeah, thinking these yeah. are great marks yeah um, but 
I felt um, the last few years that I've started to become a cog in the system and I never felt that before. I always felt really proud and sadly the relationship, the relationships mm. aren't there as much anymore because the kids are so terrified of how they're going to do. And then I hear they've dropped out of uni anyway. So, I, I you know, and with my own daughter last year, I, I wanted to really disrupt that process and I was like, let's look at next year and really... I'm getting the how can I look at next year when I have to survive this year? Oh, dear. Yeah. You're echoing the feelings of of many teachers and your daughter's echoing the feelings of many students that how can they even consider a future when this year it's like it's like if they fail it, it's death. And, yes. And, you know, it's so important. Um Look, because we have some some uh, overseas listeners, can you just explain the idea of, of greater weightings to certain subjects? Sure, sure. When I first started um, teaching in English, you might give uh, you might the students might have a an exam or a test, and they might have to write an essay under examination conditions to a question that is unseen that they hadn't seen before, and they might that that might be worth 10% of their assessment mark. So if you go 50% is their HSC exams and 50% is, you know, what they can achieve during the year, that that's then brought down from a mark of 100 on each um, to a 50-50. And when I first started teaching, you might have an essay that was worth 10%. It might have been worth 5%. And so kids, you were always saying to kids, don't worry about it. Just go in, do your best. We're just learning and we're just, we're just really doing a rehearsal here for your HSC exams. And I felt like students were on board with that. I felt like they were comfortable with that. Okay, I can do that. It's just a test. Well, what's gone from it's just a test is now it is everything you assess is at 30% or greater in the classroom and as a result students are nervous wrecks um they they think everything now is high stakes whereas i felt uh in the old hsc we had a mix of high and low stakes and whereas i never understood that just from being the teacher of one subject i thought if i was offering support if i was the supportive teacher who dropped everything and supported these kids that they would be fine. What I didn't really understand was the complete sort of juggernaut or experience they were having. And now that I've seen that, I can understand why I've heard so many people. I've, I've always, I've never really thought much of the idea of homeschooling. And I'm hearing so much more now about people wanting to homeschool and I'm actually sympathetic or understanding towards why they would make that decision. Yeah. And with the rise of technology, uh, where students can learn curriculum points at home um, just by using their device, um, I suppose that makes homeschooling a lot more um, in favour. Well, I think what we're offering is a rigid system and, and, and going into a flexible world 
Um, I know my husband works completely from home, works remotely. I've got friends and family who work remotely all around the world. And what we're offering our students is a rigid system and we're trying to tell them that we're preparing them for the future. Now, Nikki said something pretty astute there. During COVID, everyone had to do things differently. We learnt to work from home. We learnt to learn online. People learnt to wear masks. We learnt to socially distance. We adjusted our lives. And while we have gone back to normal to an extent, a lot of the changes that we had during COVID have stuck. And they've probably stuck for the better. Working from home certainly is one of them. Um, Telehealth for doctors, certainly another one of them. During COVID was the time of adjustment. Now, why didn't state education departments also say we have to make an adjustment now? The rigid system that Nikki describes was incapable of moving like the rest of us did during COVID. It was so rigid that in New South Wales anyway, the HSC had to go ahead. It steamrolled ahead and it made this massive vaccination program for for young students doing the HSC. Um, And you think, heavens above, why did the HSC come above the health of young people? So I think Nikki's comment about a, a rigid system is pretty on the mark. We're going to have a brain break now. A brain break gives us a chance to just settle down a little bit and to um, bring our electricity and our brain down. And our brain break. This episode is from Grace May, fantastic singer-musician from the Illawarra. And uh, her song is called The Music Goes On, and I love it because it talks about the new beginning um, and how it's time for a change. The 
Grace May Hillawara, musician, songwriter, singer. If you want to listen to Grace, she's playing at the Mountain Ridge Winery in Berrie on September the 4th, 2022, which is, you know, only in a couple of weeks. Um, and look, she's been to Tamworth and did pretty well. Um, so, and all her music is on, is on Spotify. Um, so have a listen. Grace May from the Illawarra. If we go back to my interview with Nikki Abrahams, uh, the English secondary teacher, I asked her what would be an alternative to the Year 12 exam. So, look, I, I can only say what I like about, I guess, different countries and the way they do things. Um, I do like the countries that really put that emphasis on the last year of school on what field, not occupation, but what sort of field of learning the student might like to go into next. So countries that really privilege, I guess, broader degree options for students, say humanities or science, whatnot. Whereas in Australia, I still feel like kids are coming to you and saying, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a nurse, I'm going to say so this sort of hierarchy of occupations. I I, I wish we had a country where in that last year of school, they were looking at universities and universities weren't offering them an occupation, a fast track to a job. 
that universities were working with schools to try and say to students, what do you like and what might you like to focus on further? And what could, how could a university meet your needs? So I think we've got, I guess now that I've got children of this age and I'm seeing it from both sides of the coin, I feel like we have a system that's actually letting down the kids. And I think that's really affected how I feel about my work. Um, yeah. Nikki, do you, do you know in your school, do students do psychometric tests? No. Or, or no. To see what their aptitude and, and, their, and their love actually is? No. And, and I really, again, I'm starting to wonder beyond the Department of Education, whether there is more scope in, say, a private system where where there's more scope for, I guess, more central, maybe local decisions where principals or someone with a great idea can go to the principal and say, hey, this is how we could better prepare our students for the future. Whereas I do feel with the system, with the rigid, massive system we've got, they talk about differentiation, but let's be honest, it's a one-size-fits-all, and it doesn't fit all. Do you think that there is uh, an option for universities to have their own exams? So if a student wants to go in uh, and be an engineer, um, then they go to the university and they sit a a small exam, nothing like the medical one, where their their aptitude is measured, where... um, they can do some, you know, just some, some small tasks to see if they're going to not only like it, but be capable of it. Would that work? Yes, I think that's a fantastic idea. And I think what else that would do, it would allow universities to have a better relationship with students. I'm not a fan of early entry um, to university. I think students um, are desperate for early entry but not so much thinking what they might like to do. Um, They just want that tick on the box for their next year to say, oh, I know what I'm doing, which is, I think, quite heartbreaking, really. Yes, it seems to me that that, um, Year 12 teachers are actually doing all the work that the university should be doing. The university should be... Um, you know, looking at, at straining the, the, the students through. Are these students suitable? Are they not suitable? Because otherwise they're accepting them and they're all uh, bailing out in the first year. Um, they're paying fees for that and then they've, they've lost a bit of time. But if they knew that they were going to be suitable for this particular role, um, well, that'd be completely different. That's exactly um, right. That's, I had a student a few years ago who did absolutely nothing in year 12, not, not a thing. And um, I thought, oh, you know, well, you know, he won't be able to do anything next year and he'll have to really think about what he might like to do beyond the HSC. Anyway, came round to early entry offers and he said to me, well, I've been offered um, early entry to a Bachelor of Commerce. And I thought, okay, you've done absolutely nothing all year. You've refused to do work. And so we, he went off to his Bachelor of Commerce and, of course, then he dropped out. And I thought, how was that student, why was that student given a false sense of belief that he was accommodated for? Yes. It, probably because the university's in desperate need of funds and uh, because there's no international students or very few and um, they're actually using you know, advertising techniques to, to get students in that aren't suitable for the course. 
It's a promotional tool for the university. It's like Harvey Norman saying, well, look, you can um, uh, have your lounge suite now, but you don't pay anything for three or four years. But the difference is that the consumer actually sees the lounge suite. They know what they're getting, but the student does not know really much about uh, the university course at all or about the university or about the lecturers that they're going to have. It's pretty pathetic, really. A couple of students have written in and said the trials shouldn't be marked by the teachers at the school because you've got so such totally different markers of the real HSC and they don't get a good indication. What do you think of that? Uh, I think that uh, any good teacher is a teacher who uh, gets themselves in that marking system as soon as they can. Um, in the HSC marking system because you need to be a marker to know how to teach the HSC. But I think what the students are saying is indicative of how stressed they are around this exam and how fearful they are that their teachers are inadequate in, in preparing them. And so I think rather than it being the teachers at fault there, I, I think they're so scared about what they're going to get in that exam. And that was Nikki Abrahams, English teacher uh, from a school in the west of Sydney, giving her opinion about the Year 12 exams. But I thought I'd ask someone else. I'd asked Karen Richards, a language teacher, about the levels of stress that students go through. Look, um, if I'm going to bring COVID in, I'll definitely say that the anxiety and the stress levels, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, are probably not even on the scale. They've just surpassed the scale. If I were to consider students of past pre-COVID, uh, the anxiety and the stress was still, they, they both were there, perhaps um, in a different way. I think parents need to do a lot of work in making sure that the, the kids are okay. Yes, in some ways you, you've got to put some blinkers on them and say, look, don't worry about all that those extraneous um, issues. This is, this is the main point. Stop chit-chatting to your friends about, you know, what you haven't covered or what you have covered. Um, let's see what you can do and then let's look at, you know, where you think um, Karen, the revision if, is if needed. The, if the HSC was going to be done differently, what would it look like? I think we all have a different view of it. Um, personally, I, I don't like the current HSC. If I were to look, for example, if we were to talk about the language HSC, you know, it's 50% English, 50% in the targeted language um, for a, you know, beginners or continuous course. Um, could we perhaps look at what the European um, HSC or end of you know schooling exam looks like compared to a Canadian one, and then bring in what suits our students. I I always think that our literacy and numeracy is plummeting, unfortunately. And does the final HSC, no matter which subject, does it really reflect what we've taught our kids from you know from kindy all the way through to Year Twelve? Y yes. So perhaps the, the the HSC or the end of Year Twelve should be. Um, a summary of everything that's happened from from kindy up in a, in a formative sense, and not have the one summative exam. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we've you know, we, if we look at the way we've come to doing assessment tasks, and some schools don't do the uh, half yearlies anymore. Um, you can see that 
the, most students do far better, uh, their results are better than having to sit down for an exam which lasts three hours, um, bringing in the, the, the stress of, of, you know, whatever, whatever the stress may bring that day or that week. But um, yes, I, I definitely, I over a period of time, they really need to demonstrate what, what it is that they've learnt. And I, I'm a big believer that one exam does not demonstrate their best. Anything can go wrong that day. Indeed, and it probably will. I managed to speak to a student um, about how she was feeling uh, leading up to the HSC. Uh, I spoke to Phoebe, um, and she had this to say. I'm doing English Advanced, English Extension 1, Economics, Modern History, Society and Culture and Legal Studies, so all humanities. <laughs> all the humanities. And, and what sort? What would you like to do after, after the HSC? I'm really hoping to get into a law degree and become a lawyer. That's my goal. Now, what's your level of stress like, Phoebe, at this, at this point in time? Definitely pretty stressed, I would have to say. Just doing trials is, yeah, it's pretty heavy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and what about all your friends? Is everyone in the same boat? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a real undercurrent of stress around that time where you have just constant exams back to back. I don't think it's, I think it would be impossible to not be stressed, honestly. <laughs> and what about the teachers? Are you getting enough mm. support from the school and from the teachers? I'm lucky enough that I go to a school where I do have a lot of support. I mean, I go to a private school, so I can't really speak for how it would be for public schools because I know that often with public schools, they might be understaffed and that kind of thing with more students. But I'm lucky enough that I get quite a lot of support from my teachers. Yeah. Um, now, if, if you were in charge of the HSC, what would you see as an alternative to it? Mm. If we were going to dump the whole exam... What could you see as something that was different, a different mm. way of assessing what you've done over your school life? Yeah, I think that's a it's a good question. I would probably go for more of a GPA system, which I know America does, and I think it actually is just a better way of measuring student performance. I've thought about it a lot, and I actually think it just rewards consistency more, kind of having smaller weighted assessment tasks over a two-year period. It means that the stress is reduced because you're not having 50% of your external mark attributed to one exam you sit on one day. And instead, it's measuring your performance in a certain subject across, you know, two years, which I think is just, it's a better measure of performance. And I think it, yeah, it actually just would reduce stress. So that's what I would do. I would completely scrap the HSE and I'd go for more of a internally weighted kind of small assessment task throughout two years. That's probably what I would say. And now if you're trying to get into law, Mm. Um, could would you consider doing an exam from um, uh, a university in order to get into law? Would that be a potential alternative? I think that would probably be a good alternative because it's, I think it would be a good way of moderating um, everyone's performance. I think that some schools, obviously, you've got schools that um, have assessment tasks that are exceptionally difficult and some that are probably exceptionally easy. I think in the same way that the HSC does, you would have one test that's able to help kind of moderate people's skill level and eliminate bias. So I think, yeah, a test from a university would probably be, probably be a good way to measure performance. Have you done a psychometric test at your school? Is, is that what the school does for year 11s and 12s? No, I haven't done one of those. It's a, it's a test that measures your aptitude and your personality, matches your personality type with, um, with mm -hmm. a career choice. But no, you haven't had one? No, I haven't had one. Uh, Phoebe, do you think uh, an ATAR is important these days? I don't think it's important. And I think it's kind of 
it's been called into question in recent years, I think, because nowadays it is so easy to transfer courses to the point that I think even if you got a bad ATAR and you still wanted to be a doctor per se, which is, I mean, historically had a very high ATAR, I still think you would be able to find a way to become a doctor if it was your true passion. I think the ATAR really, you only have a window maybe about of five hours on the day when it comes out where people actually care about it. And then other than that, I think it really, it doesn't matter. I think schools don't do a, a good enough job of telling students that it really isn't an indicator of who they are, their aptitude, their performance, their dedication, their skill. It really just measures how much you can memorize and how much you know about a particular subject on a particular day. I think it's really, it's become irrelevant in recent years. Yeah, I would say. Look, and finally, um, Phoebe, what do you do to relax, to de-stress, to get your mind off the HSC? What are some tips? Um, yeah, this is a good question too because I, I do struggle with HSC stress. I think everyone does. Usually what I try to do is I try to just separate my – sometimes I'll try and separate my study area from where I kind of just like live and, you know, my bedroom. I kind of try to have areas where it's, it's work time and then areas where it's, you know, my relaxing time to kind of help me um, de-stress. And then one of the big things I kind of would, um, I don't know if any KHSC students would, you know, obviously would be listening to this and parents and that kind of thing. But, um, what I would do is just talk to people about it because I think, you know, when you're doing the HSC alone, sometimes you can, it can feel like a very isolating experience if you're not opening up to people and making sure you're making people aware of the things you're going through and that kind of stress. And I think having a really good support system is so important. You know, I don't think you can get through a year like that without, the support of your parents, of your teachers, of your friends, and working together to kind of get you through that year. I think having a support system is really important. So it's very interesting what you said about geographically um, distancing your study space from your non-study space. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you do in the house? Yeah, that's what I like to do. What about the role of exercise or watching movies or things like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm definitely not as good with my exercise as I usually am, obviously, because it's very hard to manage. But I do try to go for a walk as often as I can and just get outside and kind of, you know, decon, de like kind of just remove myself from the HSE situation and just not do work. And then obviously, yeah, I think exercise and just well-being and kind of doing things you enjoy, like having a hobby and an outlet is probably really important as well. I love to read. So I'll usually, sometimes I'll let myself just like read, you know, a book for leisure instead of the analytical reasons, of course. That was Phoebe, a student from the Central Coast, sitting her uh, HSC this year. I then had a quick word to Sophie Stewart from Bulleye High School about how her trials were going. Um, they were actually okay. They probably could have been a little bit more organised with the whole, like, papers and everything. But other than that, they weren't too bad. Okay. Uh, how's your stress level at the moment, do you feel it's a, it's a really stressful year for you? Yes, it is very stressful, especially since all the teachers are getting COVID again. So we're getting a lot of casuals throughout the year. Okay. And how, what do you do to de-stress yourself? Um, maybe just like take a break from studying every now and then and just spend time doing other things other than just constantly 24-7 studying. Good advice from Sophie Stewart, but... Her comment about all the teachers getting COVID again and there's so many casual teachers that those casual teachers can't prepare the Year 12 students enough for the trials and for the HSC. Sophie's school would be echoing 
probably the experiences of most high schools in the country. And earlier on, uh, we spoke to Tanya. She was the HSC marker who talked about her difficulty in reading the handwriting of students. But she also had some interesting things to say about uh, HSC inclusion and students with special needs. And everything needs to be chunked, even for the smart kids, because the assessments are just so extremely difficult in the outline and... um, the scaff- their idea of the scaffold is to document what they need to know about it. They don't, they don't understand differentiation for st- students with special needs and therefore they are discriminated against. The biggest pressure, and as a marker I see it, is the timing. Like you, you, can, do, you can do a describe that's worth, uh, a describe that's worth, worth four marks, but you only got so many, many minutes to do it. So the, the, the um, the, the learners who are quick thinkers and who got high order intelligence will do it, not a problem. The ones who are a bit slow on the uptake but do well once they do it will be discriminated against. They come up with the best response but takes them longer. When you got a processing disorder, it takes longer. I was talking to a teacher today about this. My daughter was given from this other school. She said to me, I didn't even get that university. The extensive information there they're expected to do in year 11. We don't even do it at university. Oh dear. So what's the answer to all this? What is, what's the solution? Well, we've heard from nearly all the teachers that formative assessment is the way to go. No large exam at the end of year 12. Lots of small tasks worth small amounts that add up to Uh, some sort of mark or indication at the end of year 12. We know from other states that an exam is only really necessary for those wanting to go on to university, and not everyone wants to do that these days. We've just heard from Tanya that some of the questions and some of the expectations are simply too high, especially for those who uh, have special needs. Um, And uh, adding an extra hour or an extra two hours as a special consideration is doing them no favour at all. It actually makes it worse. Perhaps dividing the exam up into a three-hour exam into three separate hours might help. But um, it's no help by simply adding time. Both Karen and Nikki talked about looking at overseas examples, uh, Northern European examples, the Canadian examples, as to how students are evaluated. In Canada, for example, you may be evaluated on your survival skills, on what you give back to the community, on music, on art, of a whole lot of different, more holistic measures. And twice during this episode, I've mentioned psychometric testing. Uh, Psychometric testing is where you uh, give the student a series of tests or even just one test in order to uh, look at their personality type, uh, their aptitude for certain career choices. Uh, My daughter did one and she ended up doing exactly what that psychometric test suggested she should consider. And she's been very, very happy. Uh, An example might be simply the Myers-Briggs test or the strong interest test inventory. There's hundreds of them out there. Um, I don't know why state departments don't 
do it for every every school, uh, but it's an essential tool. Ultimately, it's up to parents, teachers and students to make their views known to their local politicians uh, from whatever party, to let them know that the New South Wales system, that the Victorian system, that the Australian system is not working at the moment for young people. And there should be a complete revision uh, of all education levels, really, not just um, from K to 12, but onwards into the university sector as well. Next week, we look at student rights and learning and the implications of those rights on behaviour. Marking the Role is run by volunteers. No one gets paid here. If you feel like helping us pay for the, the various things that have to be paid for to run a podcast, you can go to markingtherole.com.au and you can buy us a, a coffee, um, $5 or whatever you'd like to help us with. Um, you can also become a subscriber and we let you know whenever a new episode comes up. My name's Phil Dye. You've been listening to Marking the Role. I'll see you next week. <laughs>